From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Friday, January 1st, the year 2021. January 1st, 2021. Happy New Year, everybody. We have made it through 2020 and gotten through 2021. This is that fun portion of the podcast that's obviously pre-recorded with me telling you that I'm talking about 2021 before even 2020 has ended. But as Ryan Seacrest pointed out on this morning's Live with Kelly and Ryan, they call it Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve uh, with Ryan Seacrest 2021, even though the show kicks off at 8 p.m. So I guess it works. Um, Anyway, to help us ring in the new year uh, golf style, we have uh, one of the PGA head professionals for the Morris County, New Jersey golf courses, Mr. Michael Andrewson with us today. Mike, hello. How are you? Welcome to Teeing It Up. Hello, Jeremy. How are you today? I am fine. So glad to celebrate my January 1st with you. Yes, yes. Awesome that we made it. Yes, we have made it to a new year. I, I, I hope you're not hungover because these are some tough oh. questions we have for you. <laughs> that would be a beautiful thing if we could do that today. Um, let's go backwards for a second because I think people would find this interesting. We're looking for light, fun fare. Um, fun listening fair for a new year. Um, you're also a coach. I did not bring that up, but you're also a, a, a high school golf coach. Um, where did the coaching bug come from? Is, it, is this a family thing? Is this just being a golf teaching professional and you um, wanting to extend that out to a school? What's the backstory on you becoming a high school golf coach? Well, I was a three-sport athlete in high school and competed a little bit in college, only for a couple of semesters, then realized it was a different kind of athlete in college, (laughs) Uh, and just grew up playing sports, played a lot of intramural sports in college, and came back, and after getting through my PGA apprentice and becoming a member of the PGA and having a couple of stops at some different jobs, you know, coaching kind of opened itself up to me. I became a college coach first at, a, at Caldwell University, a Division II school here in New Jersey, uh, and I was seven. That opportunity kind of came around. I was just kind of looking into jobs, and there it was. I thought it would be a good change of environment for me from being in the club industry for got 16 years. So I kind of made that turn, uh, found it very fulfilling, and then the university uh, eliminated the golf program and kind of found myself back into that, you know, a, a little bit of a opening in my job market. So I was just looking around and I knew locally that the high school golf coach was leaving for another position. So I, you know, I sounds like a good idea. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And it turned out that it just kind of blossomed, you know, but the athletic director was thrilled to have my talents as a coach uh, we could take the golf program into new heights at the high school, so it, you know, each side pushed each other up. So it was, it was a big plus. I mean, I love doing it. It's terrific. When you look at team coaching, because you and I, um, one thing that you and I have in common is that we've played sports at a team level. Um, I was on my high school golf team. And one thing that I think is interesting about coaching kids is that you are looking at people that have interests all over the place. You've got people 
who are going through relationship troubles maybe for the first time. They're trying to get the plus one of their dreams or they're, you know, uh, got academic issues or they got family at home issues. And it's different than coaching an adult because I think when you coach an adult on a lesson basis, you kind of come in knowing that they're going to either A, be fully with you that day, or B, be pretty open as to why they may not be at 100%. You, you don't quite know that with a student. You don't quite know that with somebody you're coaching on a team. So I'm wondering, in coaching juniors as, as just a regular golf professional, did that help you when it came time to be a high school coach, or was it vice versa, where your experience coaching at a school level helped you become a better junior golf coach in just well, regular teaching uh, places? That's, that's an interesting way to the way to present the question. Uh, my wife is a middle school teacher, so I get, and I'm, you know, one of six brothers and sisters in my family, so mm. you kind of always got a feeling of the family dynamic, and I had heard a lot, you know, from my wife just going out with her and, and going through our, our married years about, you know, what she's dealing with with personalities at school. So you kind of get a grasp on what that teenage brain is, is like. And plus, I have two sons of my own that are in their 20s now. So you, I hope that I could figure out a way to relate to some of these some of these junior golfers. Right. At the, at the high school level, you know, they're, you, get, you get the people that are window shopping, on the golf side of it, they just kind of want to go out there because their parents want them to come out for the golf team. And then you get the serious hardcore golfers that want to do something with it. So I think I, it kind of evolved my teaching style to relate to everybody where you could pivot to go a little bit deeper into swing mechanics with the player that wanted a little bit more out of it. And you could kind of keep it light and airy enough for the kids that just want to see the ball get airborne. So that's that's where I think my teaching kind of evolved in that respect. Mike Andrewson's with us here on Teeing It Up as we ring in 2021, uh, talking golf in the new year. Let's look back on 2020 here just for a second. Um, okay. <laughs> hey, I got it, but it's going to be positive stuff. Remember, this oh, is, yes. you know, just we're, we're, we're keeping positive vibes. For me... And look, you can look at a lot of different potential shots of the year um, in terms of the best golf shot. Sergio at Sanderson Farms, Robert Strebet at the RSM, uh, Kamar Kawas, a tee shot at 16 at, um, at the PGA. It, there's a lot of different places you could go in terms of golf shot. But for a lot of people, it's what happened on a personal level. It's it's their first hole-in-one, it's their first eagle, it's their first birdie, it's, it's whatever. So for me in 2020, one of the oddest things about golf in 2020 was the surge among my friends who had never previously shown interest. And when you get this surge of, of people interested in playing, you get these odd combinations. And I'm out here with one of my best friends. He's been, uh, let's see, uh, da, 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 da. Trying to do math on the fly here. It's not it's not pretty. You know, 15, 16 years of friendship. And we're out and we're playing Twilight Golf. And you know how Twilight Golf is in New Jersey. I mean, you get the right sun angle and it's just perfect. And, yep. and that for me, it, it wasn't a shot. It wasn't anything I did. It was a moment. If I had to pick my best golf shot of the year, it's probably 
Knob Hill, number 18, I was under a tree, <laughs> and uh, I, was, I, was, I was, my ball was not under a bush. I was under a bush physically. I'm, I'm lefty, and I had to play a huge hook, and my day had gone wrong at that point, but I knew I had a left to right win, so I knew if I just got it anywhere close to hooking, it was going to you know, basically gonna, get there. Go your way. Yeah, it was going to go my way, and I hit this shot, and I just, I, I did what I was always taught, which is aim the club face where you want the ball to end up, aim your body where you want the ball to start. Start. And Take your normal golf. Yep, and swing along that line. And I remember, because I'm under this bush, I now have to make a swing and then get out from under the bush. <laughs> So I didn't see the shot at all because I would have had, you know, leaves and branches in my face if I had. So I come out from under this bush and my buddy goes, oh, my God, you nailed it. And I'm like, what? And he's like, you're right up there. And for those who have never played 18 at Knob Hill, it's one of these classic uphill uh, holes in golf that then flattens out. So it's like this optical illusion where the green looks like it's about three yards wide and, 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 and deep and you can't see much until you actually get up there and kind of crest the rise. And I had no idea where it was and I was right in the front of the green and I'm like, thank you, thank you. That's my shot of the year. Thank you, folks. Thank you, folks. So, Mike Andrews, I what's... that. Uh, uh, say that again. I meant to do that. Yes. No. Well, it, it actually was the best, the best executed shot I've hit all year. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but anyway, somebody else can decide that. Um, your best golf moment in 2020. Oh boy. Uh, well, not not realizing what we were going to be allowed to do at the Morris County golf courses in terms of programming and activity, getting the OK to get summer camps and PGA junior league going was probably on the, the top of my list because the fact that we could get real programming going, we could get a little bit more life into the facility and, you know, ease a lot of parents into you know, just taking a breath and exhaling, saying, oh, good, you know what, there's golf. You know, we had that conversation with a lot of the PGA Junior League captains in our area representative that we could we could really move the ball forward knowing that golf was going to be one of those sports that we could get the kids to do because my baseball camp got canceled, my lacrosse camp isn't happening, you know, spring sports are, you know, flushed away, but I know if summer golf camp can start, and we can play PGA Junior League safely, that we were going to be okay. And we got the go-ahead for both, and we had a terrific season for both. So that's, thinking about that, that's, that, was a big, that was a big one in that column. Mike Andrews is with us, PGA uh, teaching professional in the Morris County, New Jersey golf courses, with us to ring in 2021 here on Teeing It Up. All right, what can a casual golfer do this year to get themselves better? Ooh, I would say, number one, it probably has nothing to do with your golf swing. Get assessed by a Titleist Performance Institute professional. See what your body can and can't do. Because if you're trying to make moves that physically just aren't, you're not able to do, then you're going to be chasing your tail the whole season. So I would say find a, a qualified fitness professional if, if 
if you need to get, if you don't know any, you can certainly get in touch with me, and I can put you in touch with two or three in northern New Jersey. Uh, take a look and see what your body can do and see where we can make some changes so you can maybe make a better turn or get onto your left side moving forward for the right-handed golfers. Uh, I would say that's one thing that we can do without, without, the, uh, without the golf club. But once you do start to put the golf club in your hand, I'm a big fan of posture. I mean, if you can improve your posture by just doing some little things, by doing some mirror work over the winter, you know, finding a PGA Tour person that you like or an LPGA Tour professional online and take a look at their setup and how they're working their body to get in positions, that's going to be paramount because there's something that nobody can really chase you away from or tell you you're you're no good you can improve your posture it doesn't you know it's like showing up on time working hard you can improve your posture you can do that so that that's a big start to what's going to happen to improving your your game can i just piggyback one thing on the fitness aspect of things if if those out there um are seeing a golf professional and they're also seeing a personal trainer a lot of good golf teachers will know certain exercises that you can do in the gym that will enhance your golf swing while also serving as good workout tools for a certain part of the body. So, Correct. So, and I've done this, and it's been a huge help. So don't be afraid to literally co- uh, go to your uh, golf coach with a piece of paper and say, hey, can you write down the 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 exercise you have in mind for the gym and it may look like a foreign language to you but the trainer will know how to translate that into the right fitness term and they can help you there so that makes your workouts better and that also makes your golf swing better because it's it's helping your golf swing and and as long as you're doing it under the watchful eye of a trainer a trainer would not have you doing something in the gym that would make your body worse. It's only going to make it better. Um, so that's just my two cents when it comes to uh, helping your fitness. It's interesting that you bring up posture because I've heard some teachers say over the years, you can't learn a lot from watching TV. I've heard teachers say, no, uh, no you can. And look at gap, grip alignment posture. Sure. And you bring up posture. And I think... Sometimes we can get fooled because the camera angle may not be perfect. And I've known golf teachers that like only will judge swings based on certain camera angles because the camera can make things appear what they're actually not. But it does look like if you have a good, um, a, a, a good either regular swing, replay, slow-mo at the right angle, at the correct vantage point camera-wise you can get a good idea of grip alignment posture. And what's that thing? Like 60% of the golf swings decided even before you move the club back? Yes. yes. So exactly. I think that, you know, just just to piggyback, I wonder, or, or, or just to piggyback and to, and to look forward, in terms of what people can get from watching hours of golf on TV while sitting on their couch, um, it's probably getting a good look at grip alignment posture. It's not sexy, but it. It makes a lot of sense. You'd be surprised at the number of lessons that I give people and we set up a proper alignment area. 
and you tell them where they're aimed, and then, no, I'm not aimed over there. And then you step into where they were, into their shoes, and they're looking at you like, oh, my God, I was aimed down the right field foul line, or I was aimed at the third base coach of a baseball diamond, you know, just in those directional cues that people are just floored sometimes with where they were aimed, where they were thinking they were aimed. Um, my, my longtime swing coach who sadly passed away from cancer, uh, uh, two years ago, rest in peace, Marty, uh, uh, we all miss you. Um, he had this, this great way of making something hilarious that was not hilarious. And I came to him and I was missing everything left. And he just gives me this deadpan look, you know, he's not showing any emotion, poker face taking the video he goes all right i see what you mean you're missing everything left come here and i was aimed exactly where i was hitting it yeah. and he looks at me and goes uh your swing's actually fine um you're just aiming in the wrong place I'm like what he's like yeah come here and i look at it and it's like oh Okay, so I start aiming what felt like 20 yards too far right, right? Like, because that overcorrection is whatever. And it was like this perfect, like, three-yard tight draw right down the middle of the range. And he put his stuff away and walked away <laughs> jokingly Beautiful. and said, I'm going to go rest. I'm like, I don't you're, blame you, Marty. You're not lying. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I went to see my a gentleman who I trust very much, and he's got an indoor studio, and he had me on track, man. And we're trying to change the path of my golf swing. And he did something similar. And I'm looking at it like, oh, my God, I'm going to hit this down the right down the right, right field foul line. Right. I, I hit it and I looked at the track man numbers. And I'm like, oh, those are pretty good numbers. I've never seen those numbers before. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yes. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. It's, it's crazy sometimes what different, um, uh-huh. how different things can and and how simple some things can get, and how and and how complicated some things can be, which brings make, me to the following. We make them complicated. Yes, which brings me to the following question. Mike Andrewson's with us. One of the golf courses of which he said the uh, PGA head professional at is Berkshire. Is it Berkshire Valley? Berkshire Valley. Yep. Yes, Berkshire Valley Golf Course. The northern I, tip of Mars County. Yes, I've never been to this place. I get to this place. It's one of the top two most beautiful golf courses I've I've I've, I've ever seen in my life. Oh wow, say. that's high praise. Yes, and just in terms of sheer beauty, Augusta National is number one, but that's like in a separate category. But you guys are up there. I, I was blown away, blown away, standing up on that clubhouse and you're looking down on everything. But one of the crazy things about Berkshire Valley. Is because it's in a valley, you get all different kinds of conditions. You get it firm in some areas, you get it soft in some areas, you get really thick grass, you get really thin grass. It's got a lincey feel in some places, it's got a very parkland feel in some places. And I remember my first time going to Virginia and ever playing on Bermuda, and I had a really hard time in my short game. That was because obviously you could guess the leading edge was digging. Yeah, because, grass. because that's what happens on that grass. So what is your advice to those out there who may be, maybe they postponed the golf trip from 2020 to 2021. Here we are in 2021. They're going to go on this golf trip to a warm weather climate. They've never practiced or played on Bermuda in their life. What is, 
what is your advice? Or if they're going, let's say, to California, now they're on Polana and they've never seen this yep. weed in their life, what's your advice for the folks out there uh, encountering these two things? Because I was frustrated, and these people, after waiting a year for their golf trip, do not want to be frustrated like I was. No. If you can get to the short game area, hit some shots to the greens with your wedges to try to get an idea how the sole of the club is going to interact with the surface, that will get you some kind of uh, basis to what you can expect out on the golf course. And if it's a summer trip, you haven't picked up the golf clubs, or pardon me, if it's a winter trip and you haven't picked up the golf clubs in a while, you got to set proper expectations. You're not going there in you know July form. Maybe you haven't played golf, serious golf, since the middle of October. And so there's a there's an expectation level that you that everybody's got to have. Don't think you're going to come there and shoot your handicap because you're probably not. You know, we're just not in golf shape. Everybody kind of came through the holidays. We're eating a little bit more, drinking a little bit more, having fun. Maybe our workout routine has kind of changed a little bit. Maybe your work routine has changed as well. Just try to temper your expectations and make as solid contact as you can. I thought we said at the top of the broadcast that nobody drank on New Year's Eve. You're saying people no. drink on New Year's Eve? <laughs> it's the holidays, come on. <laughs> um, or two adult beverages might be enough. Yes. Um, this is, I think, the aspect of, of Bermuda, and I'm going to get technical. This is now for the more advanced golfer, that I think gets some people confused is they look at the pros and they're on these tight Bermuda lives, they're into the grain, and they're like, okay, if I can just clip it, not let the leading edge dig, I'm going to clip it, boom, one stop, boom, boom, done. Ooh, sexy shot, let me try that. And then all sorts of problems happen. And I feel like taking that five iron, taking that five wood, and just trying to get the ball on the ground as fast as possible so that it's as predictable as possible, especially into the grain, is the right way to play Bermuda in those places, even if you're not hitting the sexiest shot and where 12 feet may be better than, than 4 feet because your margin of error is just that much bigger on that type of grass. What's your advice for the advanced player who wants to hit their short game shots off tight Bermuda lies close, especially into the grain when that grass can sometimes cause huge problems. Well, you gotta you gotta know you can do it. You have to have done it before. You can't just go in there and you know say, "Well, I just got a new wedge. I know I'm going to hit this close. So I'm going to have a lot of spin on it." You gotta have the ball in the right position and make crisp contact, ball club face contact, in order for it to happen with your weight proportioned correctly, so that you're right, so that that leading edge doesn't dig and grab. You, gosh, you sound like Johnny Miller giving his explanation. You know, you always heard that when the PGA Tour was on the West Coast and those new grasses that sometimes they weren't used to just yet. You sound exactly like Johnny Miller. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny when I'm. The reason why I brought this up is I is I played golf in I I played golf in Aruba three years ago, and my swing was in tatters at that point, and I was just happy to. Have worked so hard to get myself back in suitable shape that I had a, I hit my first chip and the ball rolled to the top of the club face and I'm like whoops I gotta hit this doubly as hard <laughs> I forgot about Bermuda but that was a nice thing to have messed up in that moment Mike Andrewson with us here on uh, teeing it up all right grain I think a lot of golfers might get confused 
with grain because they hear all this talk on TV about down grain, grain's going right to left, but the brakes going left to right. And I think unless you're A, a really high-end golfer, or B, you're playing on really fast greens, you know, maybe you're playing right after some tour came through, I'm not sure the grain has as big an impact as some people think that it has uh, for the average golfer because they're on slower greens. What is your thought when it comes to reading grainy greens, let's say Poe or let's say Bermuda? Is it overrated? Uh, overrated? I think there's. you should have an awareness of where, if you dump the ton of water on this green, and you watch where the water is going to track to. Obviously, the blades of grass are going to be laying in the direction that that water is flowing. Right. So when I when I talk to my students about green reading, we talk about that concept a lot. Uh, not so much about the the setting sun and having the grass kind of chase the setting sun. Not so much about that, but more on the contours of the green and where we think the ball is going to go, so that you know, we can kind of justify what our start line is going to be, knowing that our end result is going to be closer to the hole. So that's kind of where I am on my aspect of, of green reading. Right. In terms of, of of grain, though, does it have a larger impact on, on touring professionals and or those playing on really fast greens versus really slow greens? It has a bigger effect on the better players yes yeah okay. recreational players that i'm working with they wouldn't know what what you're talking about with green right but i'm sure once you get to the better players and they get onto some of the top golf courses in the country that is something that will need to be in the back of their head you're exactly right and i think just just to finish up on this one area of of specific c stuff for, for 2021, because obviously we want to give these people positive thoughts. I am the biggest proponent. I've had friends ask me all year, what club should I buy? Somebody's uh, a, a girlfriend reached out to me. What club should I buy for my boyfriend? And I'm like, I'm sorry, this is really not the right answer, not, not the answer you're looking for, but get fitted. <laughs> and it's so not sexy. They just want clubs. They just want to go to the range. They just want to hit it. But like, I can't tell you. My dad's six four. I'm not six four. Um, you know, I'm I'm five ten and uh, I'm five eleven. He's six four. The clubs that I need and the clubs that he need are not the same. Not just because we're different skill levels. Not just because we're different. Um, you know, swing tendencies, but we're also different heights. People don't realize this, Mike. And I think if you can just take a second and speak to all the anti. Um, fitters uh out there who just want to buy and go um please because i'm telling i i tell people every day fit 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 it's not sexy but it'll save you heartache later that i am a big big believer in that yes if you can if you can get fitted just as simple as length the proper length and the proper lie angle of the shaft of the club it's going to pay dividends because it all affects on how that sole is going to interact with the turf and that all affects what's going on with the club face at impact. And here's a little secret, folks. A lot of times if you buy your clubs that you eventually buy from the person who fitted, you get a discount on your fitting. So don't get scared off by fitting prices. 
Correct. Look high, but it's not always that high. This is actually fine print that can help you, not hurt you in the long well, run. Mike a, lot Andrews, of great, a lot of great PGA professionals that can that have the fitting systems at their courses that you can use if you need to get in touch with somebody or if you're looking for a specific type of club, whether it's TaylorMade, Callaway, Titleist, I can certainly put people in touch with qualified PGA professionals that fit. That's not an issue at all. And if you need help getting in contact with Mike, get in contact with me. <laughs> Which is a wonderful time, Mike, to remind people that you are listening to Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling, PGA teaching professional at the Morris County, New Jersey Golf Courses. Mike Andrewson is my guest. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, preferably five stars. We appreciate all the follows at J Show on Twitter for me. And your Twitter handle is? At Begin Golf Now. Okay, there you go. Begin Golf Now. All right, three more here for Mike Andrews and on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. Question number one. What is one purchase the weekend golfer can make that'll pay instant dividends in their golf game? Ooh, the one purchase. That's interesting. For example, there have been some people who have said that if, you know, aspiring chefs out there, you know, you buy yourself, you know, high-end... Best knives you can get. Right, or or, or spatulas or something, and, like, that can make a big difference in terms of how well a dish is cooked or how easy Mm -hmm. it is to cut something, etc. Okay. If you're, I would say, just realizing what I had done this year in short game instruction... If you can have some decent wedges that are that have new grooves, you're going to see a difference. We gave a lot of short game instruction this year, and I saw people with wedges from the last century, which kind of makes me cry when people come up with wedges that are 20, 25 years old. Oh, I love this wedge. There's no grooves left. And you look at the grip, and the grip is all worn to nothing. So I would say get yourself a new wedge or two, and then make sure your clubs are re-gripped. I would that's where I'm going to go with that question. I like it. I like it. Any PGA Tour thoughts as we enter 2021 or LPGA oh, Tour thoughts? Absolutely. All right. Uh, well, I saw a tweet today. Masters is 20, or no, I saw a tweet this it, week. It, it, it'll be by the time this airs, the Masters will be uh, days? Uh, uh, 97 days away. That is just mind-boggling. That is awesome to see. Yeah. I want to see what's, you know, the Tournament of Champions is going to happen in Hawaii, so the Sony Open. I want to see what happens to the tour when they get to the West Coast, because California right now does not sound good for any sporting event. So when you look at the California Swing, you know, uh, Pebble Beach, Riviera, Torrey Pines, PGA West, I think we might not be seeing fans there which could be kind of tough. I just saw some information about the Phoenix Open and their giant 16th hole set up there for the waste management, that their hospitality area will not be as robust as it has been in the past. Yeah, but it's going to be a one-story structure, not a yeah. not a three-story structure. Um, so the, that's, that's always a fun event to, for me to watch. I mean, I, I get a big kick out of that. Yes. So the information that I have, and I've talked to some sources about this, um, is basically that 
The Century Tournament of Champions is going to have a very small number of fans, but it's never really had fans anyway. It's a, you know, it's the hardest course to walk on the PGA Tour. So basically, it's, it's only been around. It's kind of fringe people that are yeah, that so are out there. It's so. been it's been eighteen. It's been one, and then it's the occasional media member, family, friend, whatever, who goes out there. So the PGA Tour, who has done, which by the way, and, and I think we have to give praise to not only Jay Monahan but the players, the caddies, everybody. I didn't think they would get this done, and they got through twenty twenty. Yes, they did, and they got to the end line, and thank God they had no serious COVID cases or and no passings or anything like that uh, 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 amongst players and caddies. Unfortunately, Greg Norman uh, came down with COVID yeah. at the end of December, and we hope him all 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 the best. He was uh, briefly in the hospital, and I think he was out of the hospital, and then he was back in the hospital, and now I think he's out of the hospital. So all the best to Greg Norman, but. One of the things that, that they were able to do well is the plus three model, which is your your caddy gets a credential, and then it's two other people, whoever you want, and they go through the exact same testing process you do. Century will have a very small number of fans. Uh, Sony, Tory, Pebble, and Riviera will have no fans. The American Express will have no fans. Oops. Um, what, what's going to happen in Florida when it comes to Florida? So, so here's the deal. You're going to start seeing people. Um, yeah, it's Florida. Absolutely. So they, here's the way this is going to work. The the Phoenix Open claims they're going to have 8,000. I don't know how it's going to work. I thought it's a story for another podcast. It could take up a whole podcast. By no fans, that does not mean no people. You are going to see more guests of sponsors, guests of the tour, the, uh, the uh, players will be allowed in some instances to have guests, and there could be somewhere around 200 to 500 fans, which while mingled in with photographers and, and camera crews and media members and other people, kind of looks like fans. So you will start seeing more people as the year goes on. Jay Monahan hopes that by the time they get to the Florida swing, they'll be able to start letting people back in. The problem, Mike, uh, and, and I've talked to, to multiple people about this, what happened at the at uh, the Houston opener was uh, the the Houston Open was an eye opener for those who did not see that. That was two thousand fans in. Well, I think the tour didn't realize that if you're going to have Dustin Johnson contending, and it's down the stretch on Sunday, you're going to have all these people surrounding the same Probably. three four holes, and even if yep. you try to socially distance you can't end up that way. And the scene there was masks on but not being worn, people way too close together. It was a horrible look. All the plans for fans at the end of 2020 were canned, basically, in, in on that, you know, after seeing those images, which, you know, it wasn't Golf Channel exposing them. It was Golf Channel covering the event. And that's not good when Golf Channel is doing what Golf Channel normally does and it's still showing bad things. Um, and we need to get to a scenario where, and this is no offense to any of these people, but Max Homa, JJ Poston, sorry, JT Poston and JJ Spawn have the same crowd as Tiger, Rory, and JT. And there's no way of policing that. There is no way to get human beings inside of a golf tournament that can keep that separation going for a full 18 holes. There's just no way of it. So right. what, I, what I am understanding is, is that they are going to continue with this very, very limited model, these guest models, these, these, 
these people who are being tested, some of which every day, some of which not every day, some of which a couple times, that model continues. They're going to add in some people very slowly, small, so it doesn't even look like there's, there's any change from what we saw at the end of 2020. And then come Florida, they're going to reassess. Um, I don't know where this goes. What I do know and find intriguing, this is a lot of speculation, but hey, it's New Year's Day. Let's talk hope. Let's talk speculation. Yeah. Um, ticket, and, and this is a very long monologue on this, so I apologize. Um, Ticketmaster floated an idea a couple months ago of using health portals as a way to confirm you get the vaccine and to be able to give people out, uh, 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 tickets out that way for concerts. So what that would Ow. mean is, yes, now there's all kinds of privacy issues and HIPAA rules and, and, and this is, this was floated. This is, you won't, you know, you'll see this if you Google it, but it's nowhere near being put into action by anybody. But the, the, the concept I find interesting, which is those portals, which if anybody has had any kind of major medical issue and you go to a doctor who uses an online portal where it shows test results and blood work results and all that. When you get your COVID vaccine, you would be able to certify through this portal via an app that you got the vaccine. Then when you go to purchase your ticket for an event, Ticketmaster would then have a deal with the portal company to look, confirm that you did, in fact, get vaccinated. And then that would be the okay for you to purchase the ticket. That would essentially be the second validation that that your credit card was was valid, so to speak. That was the, intriguing. Yes. The other method for people who don't want to do that for privacy reasons or who don't want to get vaccinated for whatever reason is two negative COVID tests via those same portals uh, in, 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 in the 72 hours leading up to the event. I don't know if that's how people get in. I don't know if it's the event of a rapid te- if it's the invention of a rapid test that can detect COVID before it even um, shows up. Because the problem right now is that testing is a snapshot. It's a one day, one moment snapshot. Correct. And unless you're the NFL or the NBA or any of these, you know, huge organizations that can afford to test every day, you're getting just a snapshot. So. That's the hard part about getting fans back in, and I don't know when we will have full fans back in. But I would think and hope by the time that the U.S. Open comes around in June, we will be in a place where enough doses of the vaccine will be out where maybe the USGA can have fans at Tory. That was actually going to be one of my questions to you, is what you had heard through your sources about players and the PGA Tour, and or is, is vaccination going to be required or... Where does you know where did the tour stand on that? Yes, Jay Monahan caught some flack for some comments he said in a conference call. And uh, to be fair to Jay, I have not seen the transcript of that, so uh, I, I I don't know if his comments were taken out of context or not. But he basically said, "I don't think we can force our players to take the vaccine. That's a personal decision. There's pros and cons on both sides." Um, and he, he, he caught some flack by some of that wording. I think that what he was saying is we can't dictate a personal health choice by our players. And 
there was another sporting organization. I think it was the NBA that said, "I don't they're think all, they're all contractors." Right. That I don't yeah. think if it's a union, that that's something that can probably be collectively bargained. Right, and that was Adam Silver's point, which is if we were going to mandate that our players get vaccinated, that's a decision. Uh, that's a discussion we have to have at the players association first, and then you run into all kinds of other HIPAA-related issues with. Okay, but they're at home and they're with family members, and now does the kid need to get it? And it just it, there's a Pandora's box there. Yeah. So in terms of mandatory uh, vaccinations for players, caddies, or to get into the event, I, I I don't think we're there yet. And frankly, I think it's going to. I, I think the fact that they're staying with the plus two model, uh, sorry, the uh, plus three model for much of the West Coast uh, speaks volumes about how the tour thinks it's going to go. The fact that they're basically sticking with what worked the rest of the summer um, with that uh, true credential policy and uh, besides your caddy. And look, it's tough, but it worked. And I think that's kind of where we're going to get to. But I, I, I don't know. It's a fascinating question as to where we are health and safety wise because we do need fans back in. It's, it, it, it's a weird environment to be playing in right now. And you've seen in the little instances that fans have been able to be there. And I'm not talking about Houston. I'm talking about where we've ended up in these residential communities and you're up against people's houses and, you know, yeah, things like yeah. Harbor town where these people have every right to be in their yeah. backyard. Yeah. And, and, and fencing around the property of the golf course. Yep. And the PGA yeah. tour said, we are not going to stop these people. We will uh, remind that we're going to have the people who run those houses, send out a notice to just make sure that they're socially distanced and following public health authorities. But if they want to come out and sit on their property and cheer for our players, that's totally fine. We have nothing yeah. against that. You know, um, it's every every sport is going to fight that challenge. We're we're big tennis fans in our house, and we are dying to see what's going to happen at the Australian Open, which Australia has already been pushed back clean. two weeks, and, and has had some players not like the mandatory fourteen day quarantine leading okay. up rule. The friend, my my wife loves Wimbledon. I mean, we gotta we gotta see Wimbledon, right? Don't we? You would think that they can't go two straight years without. I mean, they're they're smart enough to to have the event insurance for last year, so it didn't cost them an arm and a leg. Yeah, but you also look and uh, Mike Andrews is with us, by the way, here on uh, teeing up to open twenty twenty one. We're right now talking about getting fans back into these events. It's a positivity podcast to begin twenty twenty one, but as you know, look at Indian Wells, which got postponed, and they're hoping to play in the back end of 21. And you look at some of these events and some of these sports, you know, baseball's the same way that relies so much on gate revenue yes. to support them. And that's where the problems uh, come into where you need people back in and, and how are you going to do it. And it's easier in an open air environment, um, it's harder to do for some of these indoor sports, but in the case of Indian Wells, you know, look, California's in a really bad state right now, and they just felt that it was best to pull it now, but can that event go two years and survive long-term? Can Coachella, the music festival, go two Correct. years without existing and still be okay? I, 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 I think there's a lot of unanswered questions to this side of, of the play on the field. Let's swing it back to golf. Uh, I love the Ryder Cup. And, you know, 2021 is a Ryder Cup year. 
and 2021 is a Solheim Cup year. I mean, those two events in September are going to be just, they're awesome events. And I would hate to have anything happen to them because I want to be them. And, and the PGA, and uh, forget if it was the European Tour or the PGA of America, one of those organizations said basically we can't, there's no chance of us postponing. It would either be we hold it in 21 or we cancel. That's it. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. I work for an arm of the PGA. You are a member of the PGA. Absolutely. So I'm, we I'm, make a lot of money off of the PGA, off the Ryder Cup. Yep. So I'm not talking out of turn here. I'm, I'm just going on, on, on publicly known uh, and said statements by the organizations involved. Could that change? Of course. Look, nobody saw 2020 coming. So yep. that, I think, is another aspect of this. Let me ask you this. Um, because I always ask two questions to every guest that oh. uh, when it's their first time on the show, this is your first time on teeing it up. You have no idea what these um, questions are, but the only promise is that they're not personal. Okay. So uh, it could be anything from what shoe do you put on first to, <laughs> you know, what. What what's your go to drink at the office? But it's nothing like you know. We're not getting anybody's uh, uh, personal lives here because that's off limits, obviously. Uh-huh. Your favorite golf swing to watch? My favorite golf swing to watch. Uh, I like Steve Stricker. I like Adam Scott. I like Louis Oosthuizen. I think I would go there. Those are very traditional old school golf swings. Yeah. And the, the reason why I put that as the first question, and this is not one of the two questions, is I just want your take on Bryson. Because I think he's the other fascinating... Look, you, you can talk about this being a, a vital Solheim uh, Cup year for the Americans. Inverness, that's a golf-loving community. If that event can happen in front of fans... And they're going to try to do everything possible to get it in front of fans. And I think that's, when I look at the LPGA Tour, that's what I'm most interested in, is this run of this this surge of young Americans trying to take over as the old guard kind of gets older. I mean, Lexi Thompson's going to become one of the veterans on this team, which is shocking (laughs) to say. But so, So on the other side of things, you've got Bryson, who is trying to totally upend the way golf is played. And... As somebody who is a teacher who likes watching old school golf swings, who teaches golf's fundamentals every day, putting on the weight and muscle that Bryson has is not one of the things you advocate for your students. And by the way, let me say this disclaimer yet again. Please talk to a healthcare professional before you take on any fitness plan. (laughs) Um, I don't think I could ingest the calories he's ingesting daily. Yes. So what is your thoughts on Mr. DeChambeau, the reigning U.S. Open uh, champion? He's trying to figure out a way to do it that no one else has done, that everybody is he's trying to figure out a different way. I mean, is it valid? Heck, you know what? What did he shoot with Bernard Longer? And what did Longer shoot? Everybody was talking about that the first day of the Masters. Yeah. You know, where, where Longer was hitting hybrids and fairway woods into some of those par fours and DeChambeau is hitting eight iron seven iron nine iron uh, you, get, you can play golf a ton of different ways I, I don't Bryson is 
I thought he was going to tear apart the Masters just because of the length. But obviously, you still got to make some putts. And, he and failed to great. do that. Yeah. So there's he's. I don't know. I mean, would it? Everybody, if it was such a great thing, does everybody want to be doing it? You know, like Matthew Wolf, you look at his golf swing, very effective for him. If that's the swing of the future, you know, is everybody doing that kind of a golf swing? You know, I know his teacher is very popular. Yep. George Bankis. Yep. You know, a lot of there's a lot of chatter in the instructional community about, you know, what to do with that left foot if you're a right handed golfer, you know, do you wanna have it, you know, stay stationary and turn around it like Rory McElroy, or do you wanna kinda have it dance and look towards the target like like Bryson and Wolf and and um Bubba Watson. I mean, there's there's different ways to do it for everybody. Yeah. I, I, there's got to be a place for Bryson. There really is. I mean, he's, I follow him online, and he's trying to get it over 200 miles an hour on a ball speed, I think. Yeah. He's just shooting videos. and I, Can the body handle that, number one? We all saw what Steven Strasburg was like coming out of college and, and as a major league pitcher and throwing it at 100 and change. And do you look and say, can the, can the body handle that long term? I don't know. I mean, we saw a tiger breakdown. So. And people forgot about this. Yes, he was second in strokes gained off the tee at the U.S. Open. Yes, he was first in strokes gained approach. Yes, it, it helps when you hit it a long way. He was also 18th putting. in strokes gained putting that week and only had one day where, where he lost strokes to the field. That is the forgotten stat of the U.S. Did Open he, when it comes to uh, Bryson DeChambeau. Did he have any three putts? Maybe two? Uh, I don't have those stats in front of me. I do have the uh, strokes gain stats, though, and that's the forgotten stat mm-hmm. involving him. And, and I just wonder, and Ricky Fowler said this publicly, how long can his body take this before it breaks down? Or are we looking at somebody who's trying to transform the game in a very short amount of time and then call it a day or be forced to call it a day? So we will see how this plays out. Um, your, uh, uh, back to the two random questions. Your golf superstition, do you have any superstitions when you tee it up? Do I have any superstitions? Mm. No, not really. No, I don't mark the ball with the specific side of the coin or... Or, you know, tee up using a specific tee, you know, or carry a good luck charm or anything like that. I don't, I don't really have anything that I can that I can think of at the moment for a superstition. Heck, I just like to play. <laughs> yeah, I just like to play more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's hard for your teachers to get out there uh, as you're so busy. Uh, uh, so many of your peers will hear this and uh, and. Um, feel the same way about that um so i have a question, I have a question for you yes time. well that no i i literally was going to say is there anything else you wanted to say or ask before we close this up so go ahead uh your thoughts on the golf channel wrapping it up in orlando and moving to connecticut um i will say this um let me take a second here because i know more than i can say so okay. let's put it this way. Is it a shame that Golf Channel has left Orlando? Yes. 
was it inevitable for NBC Sports to consolidate into one inter- one international broadcast center? Yes. I, bl- I believe that's correct as well, yes. It, it was just inevitable. Is it... Um, is it sad the way they treated some of these employees, long-standing employees, oh. on the way out and the way that they handled this? Yes. They could have done it better. They should have done it better. And I think in hindsight, they'll probably say they, they could have done it better. Um, having to be all virtual in how you inform people of these decisions is um, hard, too. Um, it, it, it just makes it that much harder when it's virtual versus in person. There's a uh, there's an empathy that gets lost when you have to do things over Zoom. However, I have heard some people talk about a doom and gloom thing for Golf Channel come January 4th. I think people are going to be shockingly surprised on February 4th how similar Golf Channel was yeah. okay. in terms of studio production and tournament production than they were I I think that I think I think the Century Tournament Champion from January 6th to 10th will look shockingly in both studio and tournament production the same as an event did on July 4th I think the actual changes that people are fearing are not happening at first. This is because of the schedule pushback for COVID. Uh, uh, because of COVID, this is a two-week flip that the Golf Channel executives have had to do to get the people who are coming up to Connecticut, up to Connecticut, start these rehearsals, which started today, yep. and and go through um, up until Monday at noon when, when uh, Golf Today launches. I think they're going to be surprised and feel comforted by who they see, by what they see, and the quality of the product that they see. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'll say for now, um, publicly, on the record, because I know more than I can say. And um, that's, that's, that's what I'll say on that. I think they're going to be comforted. Okay, one, one last one, if I could sneak it in. Yes. Your LPGA moment of the year. LPGA moment of the year. I, I, there's two for me. One is so. Uh, one is Sophia Popov. Just for the. Sh- I had that written down on my note. On my notes. Just, just for the fact that it came so out of nowhere. Three hundred ranked three hundred fifth or sixth. Yep. I, but hey, you know, um, Hinako Shibuno showed last year at this event that. Anybody can win when you start getting all the tours together and all and and everybody from all the rankings together. Anything can happen. And the other LPGA moment was Stacey Lewis winning again in Scotland. She is so good for the game. It's her first win since becoming a mom. There has been a baby boom on the LPGA tour. They have com- there are more moms that are playing. Yep, they have completely transformed their childcare services. On the LPGA Tour, they are now one of the leading sports organizations in terms of child care. People don't realize this, but what Mike Wan and that team have done in child care, not a sexy subject, but very important to make their players comfortable on site, has been nothing short of extraordinary. And for Stacy to finally break back into the winner's circle is just so good to see in Scotland. Totally agree. That, it, it makes perfect sense. 
sense. When you when you realize that the amount of moms could be counted on one hand at a certain point of the LPGA, it's just like, well, wait a minute, why is that? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Mike Andrewson oh. is a teaching professional for the Morris County, New Jersey golf courses. Um, he is on Twitter at the. I don't want to botch it. You say it. At Begin Golf Now. And uh, that's where you can converse and he can get you all the recommendations we talked about earlier in the podcast. And um, Happy New Year and thanks for spending some of your January 1st with me. Thank you very much, Jeremy. All the best. And uh, thank you all for joining me on Teeing It Up and Happy New Year. Have a safe one, everybody.